Welcome to Del Bedel, heart-to-heart conversations with the global Iranian diaspora, a production of the Center for Iranian Diaspora Studies at San Francisco State University. My name is Ariana Damavandi, and I'm here with my co-host Leith Gulum, and we're guest hosting this very special Pride Month edition of the podcast. This is the first installment of a two-part series on queer and trans identity within the Iranian diaspora. In this episode, we were honored to sit down with Joseph Harunian and James Karuni to discuss a little bit about their lives in diaspora as queer Iranian men. And to preface, we wanted to mention that as Americans, we're often bombarded with narratives that countries like Iran are hostile to queer communities. And while in many regards this is true, we rarely examine how Euro-American imperialism influenced these sentiments in Iran, or how the homophobia and racism we are so quick to point out abroad is also hyper-prevalent in our own communities here. And because of this, queer Iranians operate at a place that often separates them from both queer and Iranian communities, but also exempts them from acceptance into the heteronormative American landscape, leaving many queer Iranians at the margins of our seemingly clashing identities. In this episode, we seek to push back on these claims and share a piece of the gay Iranian-American experience. So without further ado, here are Joseph and James. Hi, my name is Joseph Arunian, pronoun is he, him, and I am owner of a wellness spa in Brentwood. Hi, everyone. My name is James Karuni. My pronouns are he, him, or they, them. I am a improv comedian, sketch comedian, writer. I do some filmmaking. Essentially, I'm an entertainer, but I do have a background in dance as well. I'm just kind of transitioning more into comedy these days. Thank you both for being here with us today. The first thing we wanted to ask you both is, how do you connect to your Iranian identity? This is a very special question to me because I think the most uh, recent exploration has been learning Farsi. Because growing up, my father, uh, my mother's not Iranian, so my father was really my only connection at the time. And so because because of having different uh, cultural backgrounds, I think that he didn't really pass on a lot because, you know, it's just easier in the American culture to speak English and and not bother to speak Farsi with with, uh, my siblings and I. So I didn't realize that as I started to, to learn Farsi that it would bring the community to me because I always felt like I couldn't find the community. But now just simply trying to learn Farsi has made me, for example, yesterday I was working at a restaurant and someone came in and their reservation was under Asiman as their first name. And I was like, isn't that Sky and Farsi? <laughs> she was like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. And I got these chills over my whole body. And I was just like, my people. <laughs> but I wouldn't have been able to make that connection if I didn't have you know, the language to connect to. And I find sometimes that maybe that's a great way to start your connection, to reclaim the culture, is to just simply connect with the language. And then the community will kind of build around that. Because that's really helped me recently. There's been many things. Oh my gosh, this, this question is so incredible. But I, I could say so many things, but I would say the language has been such an essential part of how I've connected recently. I have always been very connected. Um, I was not born in Iran, but I lived there between 8 to 13. And basically, 
even though it's the least amount of years I have lived in any of the countries that I know the language, it is the most relevant and I connect with being Persian the most. And when we came to US in 79, there was so much hostility against Persians that basically all the Persians were sticking together and I was in this little bubble of uh, Tehrangelis, I guess, and going to Beverly High, it was, I didn't have any non-Persian friends basically until I came out. And I was like, okay, I don't know any Persian gays, so I need to find and connect with some non-Persians. So that, um, and that was at 33. So I feel Persian. I don't feel, I was born in Germany. I don't feel any connections to Germany. I don't feel any connections still to, I don't call myself American. So I'm pretty Persian. Thank you both so much for sharing those stories with us. So something I think that many people assume, and particularly non-Iranians, is that queer, trans, or gender non-conforming identities are inherently in conflict with Iranian identity. Is that something you both find to be true? For me, it was difficult to come out in the community, and that was 22 years ago. But I never felt a disconnect. I always felt so Persian and so connected to the culture that not being accepted and trying to educate people about the issue was more of a thing for me than anything else including like being told, but how can you be gay? That's an American thing. You're Persian. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So there was a lot of bringing awareness and educating people about it. But um, yeah, as far as identity, no, I never had a problem with identifying as being Persian and gay. Yeah, I, I, I have found it difficult to connect specifically with strictly Persian Iranian culture when it comes to being queer, because I didn't see that space exist. As a child, I didn't really, I I grew up, you know, not submerged in the culture. So I came to it later in life and various queer um, social media Iranians were really my window into that space and where there was representation. And so um, a few people who are fashion designers kind of were communicating the visual language of like, this is from Hushi. It's like the one shirt I have that I wear all the time (laughs) because it just makes me feel connected. And so these kinds of um, people online were really how I was able to feel empowered in that way, in that space. But when it comes to the larger uh, community, I do feel a sense of there being people who are straight and allies who are trying to bring that message forward especially in the diaspora. And so I see a lot of hope in talking about the history of queer identity in our culture and bringing it forward because the contemporary Iranian culture seems to deny that it exists in Iran, that is. And so, and trying to redefine like who we are and and bring that forward so that we can nurture that space and, and bring it 
to a place where everyone can feel safe in, in all those spaces. But this is just me coming from, you know, not growing up connected and trying to come to it later in life. Did you both feel supported by your parents or other family members with regard to your sexuality? I wasn't. My family, which was my extended family, since I had lost both parents when I came out, was definitely not supportive. They did not know anything about the subject, and I found myself educating them and supporting them versus getting any support from them. Every time I came out to a family member, I felt it was my job to support them and make them understand that it's not the end of the world. It's not like I have cancer. It's just, this is what it is. And I'm actually very happy and I love who I am and just keep supporting them. And did not really have any family member that was supportive. But my friends, when I came out to, they were supportive. So for myself, I should give the context that my mother's Mormon and my father and mother divorced when she was pregnant with me. So I grew up with two separate homes. When I turned 18, my dad was really sick with cancer and uh, for a few years. And by the time I was 19, he passed away. And he had communicated for a few years that he could tell without telling me that, I, that he disapproved of me being gay. He would say things as we would drive by a gay club and, you know, speak negatively about it or talk about gay couples and how they have no children and that's a terrible life. And so he was made it very clear how he felt about our community and our lifestyle. Then he passed away. And at his funeral, I was outed by another family member to the rest of my family. It was very traumatic. And I basically spent the next 10 years avoiding all family. And it was really the queer community that kept me safe. So I didn't have a lot of support from my family. But I also didn't have a lot of my Iranian family in my life. So I don't know how they would specifically have reacted at that time. But as an adult, after that like 10-year period, I reconnected with, with cousins in Iran who still currently live there. And they have said, well, first of all, I, there was a, one cousin that like, is male and uh, has a lot of really close friends. And I think culturally, they, men are very close in Iran. And so I was like, oh, maybe he's you know, in the closet. So I reached out to him and I was like, are you queer? And he was like, no, but I love you and I love your life and your grandma loves you. And I was just like, wow, this is like, it just came full circle. <laughs> I just, it's important to make sure you create that distance to create safety for you as a queer person from your family. If you're, if you fear that they will react negatively and create that safe network for yourself. But I would say when you're in a really safe place, it might be okay to try to reconnect from a safe distance and a safe with, with those who can hold you safely. Because I think that it, I was really surprised that later on my family came around and has been extremely supportive. Joseph, I wanted to ask you, since James began to touch on this, did your or your family's religion or lack thereof play a role in your relationship to your sexuality? I did not grow up in a religious family. I did have a problem with my religion 
that had a problem with homosexuality. We did belong to a synagogue that was a more orthodox synagogue and rabbi. And I reached out to a conservative temple's rabbi and discussed how I don't want to leave Judaism because of being gay. And he invited me to his home and he was really helpful with making me understand that there is different sects of Judaism. And if your family belong to a Orthodox temple, that doesn't mean that that's the only option. There is reform, there is conservative. And I didn't know anyone or I didn't, let me rephrase it. I didn't have any gay friends. And when I came out and I was struggling with my sexuality for more than 20 years. So I just had a problem with the things I was hearing about my religion on different religions that are so against homosexuality. And this particular rabbi really put me at ease that first of all, you have options. Number two, there's two gay temples, which I actually went and I checked out during a high holiday and I chose one of them. I was like, wow, I really like this temple and I feel at home. And I didn't even realize how unhappy I was going to the synagogue that my family was going to and not connecting with the rabbi or anything that he would say. And many times leaving, feeling really disgusted with the things that he would say up there. And I always was like a rabbi has a responsibility of what comes out of his mouth when there are on a stage that so many people are trusting them and listening to them and how some of the things that they would say would literally affect not just the parents or grandparents that are sitting there that know they have a gay family member but also someone that's gay to feel really bad one time just left the synagogue with my grandmother, and I was like, I will never come back to this temple again. I'm done. This is not right, and I just don't want to have anything to do with this rabbi or temple anymore. So when I heard about the gay temples and I went and I checked it out, it was uh, Kolami and BCC, and I just fell in love with Rabbi Eger from Kolami, and I felt at home, and I was like, wow, I actually enjoy going for high holiday services and have the sense of uh, being part of the community versus a temple that I just did not relate to anything. And once I really learned about what Judaism really says and where all of these uh, things come from, then I was just very content with myself. And I was like, okay, I can be Jewish and I can be gay. And I have no problem with it. James, I also wanted to give you an opportunity if you wanted to talk uh, maybe more about the Mormon aspect. Not, not that you have to. I'm, I'm just wondering if that played a significant role in your, in your life afterwards. On my 18th birthday, I packed my car and moved to San Francisco from Southern California. And it was quite a culture shock. <laughs> I don't know why that sounds. It sounds kind of silly, like one American city to another, but... It wasn't, my father was in um, 
Inglewood, and he had a, a laundromat in, uh, on Pico and La Brea area. And uh, my mom was in Orange County. So I was like, mostly like my home base was with my mother. And I would go visit my father in the weekends and the summers. So I went to San Francisco and I was like, there's like so much more diversity and like so much more schools of thought. And it was the first time that I started to realize how incredibly sheltered I was as a Mormon and how little space there was provided for a child in that environment to explore anything outside of what is predetermined for you. And so it was incredibly, I, I find it to be incredibly dangerous. And this, the reason I say that is not specifically because I don't think that the, I think the Mormons have good intention because I, you know, I grew up in it and I have so many people that I love that were in that community, but I put myself in very dangerous situations as a teenager because there was absolutely no one in my community that I could feel safe and can talk to these things with, without fearing, you know, all you hear about queer people is that they're going to burn forever and for eternity. So I'm like, who can I talk to? I packed my car when I was 18, moved to San Francisco. And, you know, in my childhood, they didn't really teach me much about, you know, the real world outside of what the church explains. So I also continued to, put myself in dangerous situations. And I'm so grateful for the queer community because if it wasn't for someone who was like, let me take you to this like safety with like, uh, you know, how, how to be sexual, you know, <laughs> and like, and to protect yourself and to talk, you know, if it wasn't for that and the community center and those spaces, I, I probably wouldn't have been as empowered as an adult. And this is what I find to be kind of dangerous when you're when you're raised in a space that fears so much of the out world that doesn't prepare you for it, especially queer. And speaking of that, I I'm really excited for this podcast and additional like opportunities in the future where we can create queer spaces for Iranian because I really wish there was a, a center where we could go and we could gather and like eat together and talk about our shared experiences and find out where our other struggling queer Persians are so that we could bring them in and like nurture them and empower them to be adults sooner in life. Because I think it took me such a long time to finally feel empowered and be myself. And I just want to be able to find that for the younger generation. Thank you. I jump in there and just say that, uh, James, do you know there is a group called Raha? R-A-H-A? I think that actually Leith and Ariana mentioned it last time, but that was the first I'd heard of it. That's one of my friends that started the group, Sherwin Horamian. And the reason and the purpose of the group was for people like yourself or any Persians that need support and need to have a community to have a place to go and reach out to and they have had amazing programming in the last few years, all sorts of support and Persian holidays. Biggest parties that we have every year is a Norus party with about 200 people that come. And yeah, it's amazing what wow. they have achieved. Before that, there used to be a group called Human that started about 27, eight years ago. And 
when I came out 22 years ago and I heard about it, I went to the Norus party and it was the best experience I had in my life. I was like, oh my God, I thought I was the only Persian gay uh, person. And look at all these people that have been around and I didn't know. But anyway, had an amazing time. It was dancing and great food and all of that. And then I started making friends and people from all over, not just U.S. I made friends from people from D.C., Miami, uh, New York, Dallas, Austin, all over the place. Also from other parts of the world who would come for these parties because it was so exciting to go to a Persian gay party and meet all of these people and be able to connect and talk about what we have been going through and our community and society and all of that. So just wanted to bring that up that Human Opportunity is not around anymore. That chapter closed and then there was Raha that was created by Sherwin and anyone that reaches out has access to all these resources. We also marched at New York Pride 2019. It was the 50th anniversary of Pride in New York. And literally it was one of the most amazing experiences I have had in my life. Being on a float, there was, they said over 3 million people at Pride and having a flag of rainbow flag that said Iran on it and the reaction of the people. We were looking at the crowd and the way they were cheering as soon as they saw that it says Iran and the emotions of people. We, we had people run up to us and be like, how can we get in touch with you? I saw people in the crowd that just started like cheering up and crying and like pushing the person next to them and said, look, look, they're from Iran. They're Persians. I mean, it, it, it was an amazing experience. They have panels. They have, I mean, they're very active. And if you go to the website, yeah, you'll be happy that there is such an organization. And people reach out from Iran and from all over the world. Wow. What an incredible resource. Thank you, Joseph, for sharing that with us. This next question is quite broad but we're hoping the two of you can speak on your experience generally as Iranian gay men about whether it's been difficult overall or otherwise. So it has changed a lot, you guys. Uh, when I came out 22 years ago in 1999, it was very different. I met one Persian guy at, a, at my neighbor's place, actually, that had invited me. And I was not ready to come out but when I met him and I was like wait he's Jewish he's a doctor um, so th there is such a thing and I'm not the only one I just surrendered I remember I just wanted to like come out to him and say I'm gay as well and he turned out to be a very good friend and really helped me with the process of accepting myself and just letting go and being like, okay, this is what it is. I did struggle for many years trying to change myself, trying to be straight, trying to get married to a woman and all of that. And this friend was a gift from heaven. He was the first person I was actually able to talk about 
And the fact that we were able to, I was able to speak in Farsi with him was so different because whenever I connected with Americans, um, they wouldn't understand what I'm talking about. They wouldn't, it was such a different world. I would say like, I cannot come out because my sister wouldn't be able to get married. My other sister, um, my brother-in-law would divorce my sister. And they're like, what does that have to do with you being gay? And in the Persian community, I always heard that, yeah, if someone is gay, then the whole family, the shame and the reputation and blah, blah, blah. So that whole, in Farsi, we call it Aburu, didn't really mean anything in the American community. So it was very liberating to meet this other Persian gay guy and becoming friends and really becoming comfortable with myself and accepting it that this is what it is. And I'm not going to struggle anymore. And I always love myself. And I said, life is too short and I want to enjoy my life. And I just came out and that was the end of it. Nowadays, I feel it's so different, but a lot has changed. There's so much support now that people can just reach out and get. But it's an, ex- it's an interesting experience to be Persian and coming out in the community. I think for myself, the challenge of being Iranian and gay was more of the intersection, intersectionality of all of my different experiences. Uh, being raised Mormon, so that's kind of part of the culture that I was raised in, but certainly not the culture I'm seeking. But it still like makes me kind of like just withheld in a lot of ways and protective and sensitive and you know, I I struggle to share my emotions in some spaces and not others. So that part, that's part of it. The Persian side is something that I always, I heard my dad speak poetry. You know, we ate the food growing up. So these different parts of myself, um, and then obviously American culture, like all these different things. When When I stepped out of my childhood and tried to find spaces for myself as an adult, I found that I didn't immediately resonate with like just submerging myself into the queer spaces, like at the clubs and such. I didn't immediately find myself like while I did speak to how there were certain programs and people that have supported me and lifted me up and kept me safe. I didn't always like dive immediately into social groups that were all exclusively like considered all gay or all Iranian. I couldn't really find those spaces and I always kind of felt like I didn't have a community. Even to this day, I kind of struggle sometimes to say like, are these my people? Are these my people? Or like, I kind of just always feel like I'm floating in this, what do you say, ambiguity? Or, or like, what do you, oh, I forget which word, but that might be the, the right word at the moment. So I don't know if that's specifically tied to being Iranian and queer, but that's been something that I've kind of sought my whole life. Um, adult life is like, where is the space that I will fully feel like I can just completely relax and feel like everyone around me is my people. So I I think that that's kind of something, it's it's not something that I can immediately give a conclusion to and say that it's just a sense that I kind of carry with me in my life as part of my identity. (laughs) So as for the struggles and the difficulty, I think it comes to the intersectionality of, you know, American culture, Iranian background with my family, and then my mother's side being the Mormon side. So the different struggles trying to balance where they are 
And then even my step siblings are very Republican conservative. So there's people I don't even talk to at all that are my family. So it's just, just when it comes to like managing relationships in my family, it's been really overwhelming because I have nine siblings from different marriages and trying to find a space where I feel like I fully am myself and comfortable. And then I would say that the things that have helped me feel empowered are um, social justice spaces. And I know that social justice can also be a space of a lot of, you know, discourse, but that discourse kind of empowers me because I think that we're all working to fight for some kind of better future. And so in in those relationships, I felt most empowered. Since coming into your sexuality or queerness, have either of you been back to Iran? Uh, If not, why? And do you want to go back? I have never been to Iran. I have always wanted to. But before my dad passed, he asked my sisters and brothers and I to not ever go. But I don't have much more information because that's all the that's all that I was left with is to not go. And uh, my stepmom also keeps enforcing that same idea. But then my cousins in Iran keep saying like, you know, one day come visit. We would love to see you. I kind of was one of the big hopes to go to Iran, but with so much of the relations being really hard. And obviously it's really hard to be queer in Iran. I don't know if that future is anytime soon for me. And I, I feel like a lot of people kind of have that same kind of sentiment of like not knowing where they exist in the space between like being in Iran in the future or not. That's kind of where I am at at the moment. I left Iran in 79 and it's a dream to go back again. I have been wanting to go back for years. It was impossible because of being Jewish. Then I just didn't feel safe. Then I, because of all the activism that I have done, you just don't know. But I have a lot of friends that go and visit and every time they come back and they talk about what a great time they had and show me videos and all that. I'm like, okay, that's it. I want to go. If I could have gone with my American passport, I would have gone God knows how many times, but it's not easy. Um, It takes, it's a process that takes about a year for me to get a Persian passport. Maybe by next year, the regime will change and I can't go with my American passport and it just every year passes by and it doesn't happen. Um, But I'm convinced that I want to get a Persian passport uh, this year so that hopefully next year I can go. So yeah, I have some of my best memories from Iran, even though I was only there five years between eight to 13. And I just feel so connected. And my gay friends that are going there to talk about all these underground groups that there are and how much fun it is. It, it's so different. You know, they really live life versus living in L.A. It's just so different. So hopefully soon I will be able to go back and visit. How and when exactly did you start connecting with queer communities in the U.S.? So basically when I was 33 years old and I came out to myself and then had this Persian friend that was helping me, that's when I started connecting and I decided to be more active in the gay community, especially 
doing a lot of activism in the Persian community because of all the hard time that I went through. I wanted to make it easier for, first I was thinking about all of my cousins, if one of them is gay. And then I was like any Persian youth. I was pretty established. I was 33. I had my own business. I was doing well. And I had such a hard time with family. I was like, I cannot imagine a youth that is still living at home and financially depending on the family and being told we're not going to support you anymore. Or in many cases, they would throw them out or come back when you're straight or all the things that I was hearing. And it was like, that is terrible. So I decided to do activism in the Persian community. And I remember PFLAG was the first organization that I reached out to. And instead of going there getting support, I would go there to give support to the parents that were coming there and saying, we found out and we need support and this and that. And then going to schools as a, as we inviting PFLAG to send a panel, I agreed to go to any school that has a lot of Persians. I remember we were always invited to go to eighth or ninth graders and the panel would be like a gay white guy or a lesbian or bisexual, transgender, and they're all playing around and not even listening. And as soon as I would say, introduce myself saying I'm a Persian Jewish gay man, all the kids would like sit up and be like, what? What did I just hear? Did I hear that right? And they would just completely tune in and listen to what I had to say, because even if they weren't Persian themselves, they had Persian friends and they knew what a big deal this was. And the Persian kids coming up to me sometimes after the class and shaking my hand and saying, thank you. We're so proud of you. Thank you for doing this. We know what a big need there is for this. I'm not gay myself, but I have a gay cousin or a friend or whatever. And I realized the impact that I had on the Persian community's um, youth. And then I just got more and more involved with different things and really enjoyed trying to make a change and opening up the conversation and calling the Persian radio and saying that I want to talk about this, calling the most famous Persian psychologists on the radio and talking to him and calling different rabbis in the community, Persian rabbis, any opportunity to open up the conversation, to just open it up since no one wanted to even talk about it 20 years ago. So I did what I could. (laughs) So my first interactions with the queer community, I believe I was 16 or 17. I was outside the Troubadour and I was with my, the other three high school guys in my band. (laughs) I was in an emo band. This is back in 2000, 2001. And there were two guys on a motorcycle that like were driving by, but they were real close. I was like, I said to the guitarist, I was like, what is that? (laughs) You know, but, you know, obviously not letting them know that I was excited about it. And he's like, oh, we're like in West Hollywood. This is where all the gays are. I was just like, really? So (laughs) from that moment onward, I was like, I, because my dad was in LA and my mom was in Orange County. I was like, 
hey, mom, I'm going to go visit dad this weekend, but I would like stop in West Hollywood and like read a book outside of this pizza place on the corner of like, no, what was the corner? Is it San Vicente right there? Like where the clubs are? <laughs> and I would like read a book. And then when I, and I started getting braver and braver, I would like stand outside the, the rail of the, of Rage, the club. I don't know if it's still Rage today. And when the guard wasn't looking, I'd like hop over and like 17 year old and Rage like dancing. I do not advise this. Nobody do this. But like my first introduction into a space where there were people that were like myself and I could like be in a community. And from there, I was able to eventually meet people that were like, whoa, who is this like young queer person here? And that's actually when I met someone who lived in that neighborhood, who went to the MCC church. I think you mentioned that, Joseph, because I was telling I was telling this person that I was struggling with my identity and my religion and, and community. And they showed me this church that accepted, as far as I understand, the MCC church kind of caters its practices to the community and what they most, how they most want to, to worship. So the one in San Francisco is different from the one in Los Angeles. So there I was able to say like, oh, you can be queer and not, like this queer space told me you could be queer and religious or queer and spiritual and not burn for eternity. I was like, oh, that's a new idea for me. So having spaces like that kind of really helped me learn that I can love myself. I didn't end up landing uh, in a space where I am religious to, at this point in my life, but at the time, it was really helpful for me to consider ideas outside of that one that I was raised with. And the queer community provided spaces for me to have that ideological transition from that childhood box that I was in to a much more open and loving space, internally and externally. And spaces like that in our different pockets around the world, because we have little, you know, queer spaces in each city, essentially. And that's really, I think, what saved me is having those spaces. How have those communities changed since you started getting involved? Do you see more queer Iranians today? I I think because of social media, it's created more opportunities for people to find community, especially when they're not in a place that has something like West Hollywood or the Castro. So that's been really, I think, a wonderful improvement in how we're able to connect if we're not able to go to a physical space. At least there's that virtual space where we can talk to people um, as we're trying to find a way to love ourselves for who we are. However, I think that it wouldn't hurt for us to continue finding ways to deepen that identity. Because I think that sometimes what bubbles up to the surface can be excluding a lot of what queer people experience. And so I think that a huge space that we can work on is trying to find stories. The reason I speak to stories is because I'm, I kind of communicate through sketch comedy and I'm in the film world. So I, I think that if we bring those stories forward more, the more specific we can get to them, it will actually become more universal and more people will realize like they don't have to, when they come to the queer community, they don't have to be that almost what you see when we criticize corporations for like taking, you know, just June to, to, to like put the rainbow flag up or to elevate certain voices. I think we need to make sure that in our community, we're, we're lifting up those that aren't heard often so that 
everyone can can experience pride in who they are as opposed to this like one specific type that has been predominantly raised as a voice. I have seen a lot of improvements, obviously, in the Persian gay community and a lot of uh, straight allies that are getting involved, which is really nice to see getting all that support as well. But it has been changing a lot and it's nice to see how the younger generation is just having such an easier time. But I do find that the older generation or gay and lesbians that are in their 40s or 50s in the Persian community, they still have a very hard time. The parents are older. It's just not as easy for them to come out as a teenager or even 20s or whatever. It's just the longer you have sit in the closet, it becomes apparently more difficult to come out. Lastly, how would you like to see things change for queer Iranians moving forward? It's just talking about the subject more and getting into the more religious uh, sectors of the Persians, whether they are Christian, Catholic, Baha'is, Zoroastrian, Muslim, Jewish. It, It just makes it more difficult because... These are more tight uh, communities, and they, I feel they still have a long way to go, and mostly because of reputation and family name that they care so much about versus caring more about their kids. I don't know how reputation and what your neighbors or friends say is more important than your loved one. They just have to really get to that place and understand that this is our kid. We would do anything for our kid. Why do we care so much what other people say? Specifically for queer Iranians, I hope that we can find a way to define ways to support the younger community. And it looks like Raha International is an incredible space for that. But to broaden that and see that we're so spread out all over. Because of social media, I've been connect, I've been reached out to by people in Iran who feel afraid and alone. And I don't even know if we have statistics of how many people experience that inside of Iran. And I'm not saying that I have the answer, but just knowing that this is something that I've I have had a handful of people reach out to me saying that they need help and I don't know how to provide that help to those who are in those spaces and, and need support. So when it comes to that, that's that's a few things that I think that are goals in the future that we can work towards. Just I just want to say them out loud to put them in the space and just so that they're being thought of. And then on a more celebratory point, I think that we can look back on the history of Iranian culture and bring that forward and bring those celebra- celebrated queer stories into contemporary storytelling and celebrate those people and and have take pride in those uh, those histories. Thank you both for your time and consideration. Joseph is the founder and CEO of Sonabar, a holistic wellness spa in Los Angeles and has been involved in queer organizations like PFLAG and Raha International. James is a dancer, actor, writer, and comedian who can be seen in the upcoming film One Week in Heaven. 
We are so honored to have you on our podcast and are hoping that it will open the door for more conversations that need to happen in Iranian and American communities with regard to the queer Iranian experience. We also want to thank the Center for Iranian Diaspora Studies and the team that supports the Del Badel podcast, Dr. Persis Karim, Kamia Akbari, Jasmine Javahari, Shariar Najaf Golazadeh, Evette Derensberg for production, and Ariana Bustani for the music. Please look out for our next episode focusing on trans-Iranian women that will be coming out soon. <laughs>